Hi, everyone. Thanks for this episode of Nick Egan Times. On this episode, we have a tremendous guest. We have the multi-talented Bianca Hutt. Bianca is an Australian TV presenter, media personality, interviewer, talent agent, and activist. Bianca's career spans across sport, travel, fashion, and music journalism. Welcome to the multi-talented Bianca, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You're, you're welcome. All right. Um, how's everything been going? Honestly, it's been pretty tough lately. I think um, there's a lot going on in the world at the moment and it's kind of hard to, um, I guess, embrace your successes and your wins when a lot of the world is um, in sadness at the moment. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, a different sort of energy, but, um, yeah, I've been, I've been getting through it. Yeah, it's a very crazy time at the moment, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, let's jump straight into it. Take us back. Tell me about... I guess, growing up, your life and obviously your family and, yeah, I guess how that's, a, I guess, a put you on that trajectory to where you are now as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, so based off background, so both, both my parents, my dad is Gimalore and Barkindji man from New South Wales and Victoria uh, and my mother mother is Baladangan Wajak, which is from WA. Uh, that's two different sides of the country. Somehow they met in the heart in Alice. That's where they had my oldest sister. And then uh, after a bit of moving around different sides of the um, country, they set up base in Brisbane, Mianjin. So, yeah, I was born and raised there. I have two siblings, a younger brother who's about 19 months younger, and then my sister's about seven years older. Uh, my dad decided uh, when the year I was born to go to university. So both my parents only have had around a grade 10 level of education. Uh, so dad going to university was actually the first in the family. He kind of set that foundation that education is important and it was going to be the thing that pivoted, I guess, our, our family story and, and where that was going to go. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of grew up with university as my playground, which is a very unique sort of um, environment, I guess, not only for myself, but, you know, the kids around me, a lot of my um, kids that I went to primary school and stuff like that with, a lot of their parents weren't actually at uni at the time either. So it was just like a different sort of thing to navigate. Um, so I would say like early on, those were the conversations that were being had. We were in a higher education sort of space constantly. Uh, Mum and dad were always talking about these different things and how education impacts us and um, why it's important. And I think growing up, it was kind of like a, almost for me, not graduating year 12 would have been almost like a disrespectful sort of thing. Um, for me, like, it's not like my parents ever said to me that you you had to graduate grade 10, but I think because they didn't get afforded that opportunity and, and also the generations before them as well um, didn't have that, my sister being one of the first in our family to graduate from grade 12, um, I just knew that that was kind of my thing. But even though both my parents went to uni, so dad went, then mum went, um, to uni and then myself and my siblings also so it kind of carried this like flow on effect it's probably one of the first things you see in our family's home is um pretty much a wall full of our degrees is about 11 degrees between five of us which is you know pretty pretty cool and it doesn't define us by any means but it's something that no one can take from us and I think that is probably one of the most important things about education one of the driving factors for myself is knowing that I have this and no one can take it from me and uh yeah so it's been like that's kind of been a bit of the journey I think um growing up but also just knowing that myself 
even though both my parents went to uni, I was not academically inclined. I didn't find school exciting. I didn't really like doing a lot of the things um, that came with school. And that was from a bunch of different reasons, realistically, um, whether it was not having enough support from teachers, um, not getting along with peers, everything in between, it can kind of have that impact. So the things that I really enjoyed growing up was music and dance and creativity. Um, my dad was a musician. Well, he is a musician as well, as much as he works in health and everything. I grew up, you know, listening to him uh, playing the guitar and going to sleep, waking up and going to sleep to him playing guitar. So it was almost like a natural thing for me to be a little bass player um, in school. And I really loved my music teacher at the time. So that was kind of the thing that I really enjoyed is embracing music, embracing creativity. I think out of the whole family, I'm the quote unquote creative one, the unique one, the middle child um, that got to do all of the fun things. Uh, And yeah, so that was kind of a bit of the the journey um, going through those years. And then I guess once it got to high school, again, not crazily academically inclined. I didn't like a lot of the things. By the time I got to 11 and 12, um, years 11 and 12, sorry, I pretty much only had five subjects at school. I did maths, English, because those were the things you needed to do. Um, They were compulsory. And then I had dance, dance excellence and food studies. Um, But I had two jobs in grade 11 and 12. I worked at good old KFC and I also worked as a trainee at Commonwealth Bank and that was for me how I was going to get into uni. I knew I wanted to go to uni and there was alternative pathways that I could look at, but to show that I had that dedication and determination, I guess, to go to uni was the thing that I needed to show and prove and having a few jobs, juggling school, doing all the performance side of things. I did a few little leadership things as well during that time. Um, It helped, I guess, the university know that I was someone that they should kind of engage and bring on board and and I'm grateful that that was the case and that I end up you know I guess being one of the people that could be afforded the opportunity to go to a higher education um but yeah the way that I got there was obviously a little bit more a bit different to others so I knew I was in uni before most other people um in my grade I didn't do the traditional ATAR OP system. I went, grew up in Queensland, so we had a different system to New South Wales um, and Victoria and stuff. So, yeah, I guess I guess that's probably the easiest little roundup, um, I guess, of my upbringing. Uh, but yeah, happy to explain any of that further. <laughs> ah, you've um, really articulated that, and something that really strikes me is your confidence. Where uh, that, I guess that's a question. Where do you get your confidence? You, you you come across extremely confident and very articulate. Where do you think that stems from? Um, I think there's a few few different reasons. So I would say growing up, I wasn't necessarily the most confident person uh, in the school grounds, outside or anything like that. I was probably more confident at home, uh, which I'm lucky to have a family that fostered that, uh, one, that creativity and just expressing ourselves and being who we want to be. But um, unfortunately, 90% of the time as a kid, you're growing up, you're at school. So if you have kids that kind of push you down, tell you you're different, all of these different things that come with, I guess, being um, a black person in in this system right now, I think that was a really difficult thing to come to terms with. I was kind of kind of always taught to suppress being who I am and, and that being who I am was so different that 
uh, no one would want to see it or, or be around it. And I think that was really difficult growing up. So uh, I think when I was performing, like when I was playing music in the band or singing or um, dancing, that was almost an escape. Uh, it was almost like an alter ego of me. So I got to put on this persona and I could just be someone else um, for a moment, for a day, for whatever period of time that we were um, performing. And it's kind of sad to think that I needed that as an outlet um, to fully embrace who I was. But it wasn't until I was a lot older that I actually could fully sit in, in being myself. Um, and that's a few few different reasons, whether it was the friendship groups um, I became around and I had a lot better uh, friends coming out once I got out of high school. I think I only have one friend from high school. The rest of them uh, I don't associate with and most of my mates have come from university or within the industry. Um, so there, there's that sort of factor. But I think as well I got to a point where if I wasn't happy with myself and how I was, I wasn't going to be able to achieve anything or be successful. So there was a period of time where people were saying that I wasn't good enough, wasn't going to achieve things and all of that sort of stuff. And then for some reason that shifted. Um, and I think that came from me uh, being good at my job. Uh, people started telling me that I was good at my job and reinforcing that. And it is hard when you go to school and, and stuff. And, and if you are told that you're not good enough, uh, you will believe that. And so once that starts shifting and people are telling you you're good enough, at some point you need to start believing that. And I think that's definitely come over the last decade, I would say. It's been a growing process. Now I'm quite sure of myself. There is definitely times where I do question it, whether it's from the industry, whether it's from uh, my surroundings or, or people that have been around me. But I'm not too 100% sure when that shift happened. But I think one of the main reasons why I started becoming very confident in myself is when I actually started in media. So it's that sort of thing where for all those years when I was younger, I thought I had to be someone else in order to be taken seriously or for people to enjoy my presence or or love what I have to say or, or do was because of like an alter ego. Now it's that sort of thing, whereas I have a career because people like me for me. Um, so, you know, I'm not, sitting here being like I'm you know some other person it's like okay I have an audience and I have a following because I'm Bianca Hunt not because of anything else if that makes sense so it's like I I never went into stuff like acting or or which I, I probably eventually will but I think if I had gone into that before I knew myself and before I was confident in myself I think I would have always been chasing to be someone else um, and so I think that confidence has definitely shifted in the last few years since being in television and being in, um, I guess, the quote unquote spotlight of people coming up to me and being like, I really enjoy you for you. And so, yeah, I think that's also contributed to my confidence and um, just feeling more myself. That's re you're really inspiring too. Like, you know, just explaining that. Yeah, it's, it's really inspiring. Boring. And then I guess that brings me to the next question. Obviously, you're a proud Indigenous uh, lady. Um, mm -hmm. What, without getting obviously too political, too, how how does that how does it I guess sit with you? Obviously, being that, and how do you I guess see the culture and the future of being an Indigenous lady? Especially, you know, you're an inspiration to the younger generation, and you know you you know you're really representing I guess your culture. 
how does that yeah how does that how does that sit with you and how, what does that mean to you and represent yeah i think um there's a few different things uh one thing especially when i came into media and i was offered my first job um on yokai i kind of sat with it for a little while i didn't accept it straight away because for me i had to sit there and be like ask myself a few questions. Um, one, will I be able to handle being in this industry that is so predominantly white male-led? Um, and will I be okay with the backlash that will come from being a visibly black woman in the Australian media landscape when there's less than 1% of us that are here um, in this industry? And also, will I take on an obligation to represent my community. And there's a few things that come with that. One, I have always committed to speaking on behalf of myself and my lived experience. I will never speak on behalf of um, First Nations people in general. I think that is a disservice in a sense because I only have a certain level of experience. I also have different levels of privilege compared to other people as well. And so there's a lot of things and considerations that come with that. But on the other side is knowing that I am coming into this landscape as a visibly black woman, that that is providing representation regardless of what I say, what show I'm on, um, where I'm, where I am. And that is important. We didn't, myself didn't grow up seeing a lot of uh, first nations mob that looked like me on the screens in shopping centers, uh, just in, in, in general, in this creative industries landscape uh and it's pretty incredible because of course we we've had a very long standing of amazing first nations creatives who have led those paths for us um and it's pretty incredible to see that i'm alongside some of them now and for such a long time growing up people like deb mailman people like um uncle ernie they were so far away from me um, in that sense that I thought, oh, I'm never going to be in the same presence as them. I'm never going to be in the same room as them. Um, but I'm, I'm, I love that they're here, but it just felt like it was so far away from me. And so now having grown up and, uh, and I'm now in a space that some of my best mates are some of the top of the game in this country um, and we're all First Nations is such a weird feeling to kind of come to terms with because one, I feel like I'm not alone, um, which was really scary, especially when I started um, university. I did a double degree. I did a Bachelor of Business in Management and a Bachelor of Creative Industries and Entertainment. And when I decided to do those degrees, I did business because that's the practical thing to do. Uh, that will get me jobs. That will give me security. And the creative industries side of things doing entertainment was that's your passion, you know, um, one one day if you're lucky you'll be able to be in there but don't don't put too much pressure on thinking you'll be in this industry and there was only two of us I think um that was studying that degree when I graduated um from my uni and that in itself like I didn't have a lot of people that were were black in the industry that I could kind of have a yarn with and and get to know and actually have that community around me that made me believe that being in the creative industries as a First Nations person was going to be realistic. So now that I have that, it's almost the complete 360 where I'm such a advocate to other First Nations people to come in this space uh, and to feel like they are welcome in the creative industries and that they can have a career here. Um, but that's just in general. I've worked in corporate. I've worked in nonprofit. I've 
you know, done different industries. But I think creative industries, entertainment industry is such a difficult thing to penetrate. And now that I'm kind of in here, it's like, it's important we're here. It's important that people are hearing our voices and it's important that people are listening as well to when they have someone like us on a screen giving our opinion, um, not to be threatened by that, not to be um, worried that we're going to be too controversial. It's just we finally get to be in these spaces and have these conversations and to and to be heard and I think people shouldn't shy away from that. So that's kind of the work that I, I do and, and what I've been really grateful for, especially in the last few years of being in this industry, is that I know I'm contributing to the next generation's access into this space um, and not only First Nations people, I, I genuinely believe uh, POC communities as well as non-Indigenous communities are benefiting off someone like me in this industry. Um, and the, you know, the sweetest thing sometimes is having, you know, the parents of kids coming up to me saying, oh, just so you know, like my, my daughter really loves you and really loves what you're doing. And that's coming from all different kids' backgrounds, um, you know, or even just walking around and a, and a kid turning around saying hello because they had seen me on something. Uh, it's just like it's such a weird feeling, um, but that's one of the main reasons why I'm in this industry is to be here for the next generation um, and to also follow in the footsteps of the people that have opened the doors for us to be in here. Um, they were, I would say, crawling so that we can start running um, and eventually, hopefully, the kids that are, are next will start sprinting. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a lot of my motivation. I hope I hope that answers the question. It definitely does. Brilliant. It's a brilliant answer too. Incredible. All right. Um, being in the media too, what I guess has been the I guess the biggest joy, and what has been the career highlights? Biggest joy and career highlights. Um, I think, interestingly enough. It's such a it's a such a hard one because I've had some really really fun, cool different experiences, uh, and some of them it's honestly a lot of the experiences I've had have been incredibly challenging. Uh, most of the time, I am the only First Nations person um, on a cast in a space, um, having to to be in there, and and that comes with its own I guess struggles, but also there's a lot of power in that um, because I know that there's going to be more, and so that's exciting. I think a big highlight was definitely uh, this year. Uh, for the first time ever, I was in a global campaign uh, and just recently saw that, like, my image is sitting on a massive billboard in Brooklyn, New York, and if you were to ask me growing up what where I wanted to go as a kid, I said New Zealand or Zora or um, New York and both of those I got to go to and they were both for work and they were fully paid um, kind of experiences and and that in itself you know New York to me is a, is the city of dreams and to even be there was a blessing but now to have this amazing billboard that I'm standing on alongside a few of the others that I was in the campaign with wearing an Aboriginal flag showing that is just something that's like unfathomable to me um, and it's something I'm incredibly proud of and something I wish I could go and see, to be honest, but by the time I was able to go back overseas, I think it would be gone. Um, so there's that. And the other one absolutely would be going on to um, I'm a Celebrity. 
Um, that experience was something that I knew was going to challenge me. I definitely um, lied in the early stages of saying that I didn't have any phobias. I am an arachnophobe like crazy. I cannot be around spiders. I'm okay with snakes, but even then I'm like, oh, if I've got something on me, is it going to attack me? I don't know. Um, but I'm really grateful that I put myself into that experience, especially as someone that is um, – you know, I was alongside people that I grew up watching. And the fact that I could go into a, into a group where the people that I did grow up watching actually knew who I was um, is just, again, is such a really weird experience. Um, well, probably not weird, unique experience. And, yeah, I'm very proud that I went through that, that space and that I chose to do it because I wouldn't change anything about it. And I'm grateful I had that. But, of course, one of the biggest highlights is is starting in a show that was from a First Nations lens, talking about a sport that I grew up, you know, loving playing and and um, like Yokai, um, being on a show that was co-hosted by two black, uh, uh, like, hosts um, with an EP who was also First Nations to be on a platform with one of the biggest companies in the country um, for one of the biggest sports in the country. I I will never not forget my start. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm pretty blessed, I would say. Yeah. Sensational. Yeah. You know, and you're only young too, right? You got the, you're only just getting started. So it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and tell me about your TEDx experience and what that was like. Mm. Yeah. So uh, my te- that TEDx was done in, Oddly enough, 2018. And now, like, thinking back, that's quite a decent amount of time. Um, so that role, uh, the reason I did the, the the TEDx is I was a co-CEO of a non-profit back then. It was the year after I graduated university, um, 21 years old. And my uni had asked me, hey, um, you know, we, we think you'd be perfect to do a TEDx. What do you think? Um and I was like, absolutely. Uh, regardless of if I believed I was ready for it or not, I I didn't want to back down because I, I believe opportunities don't come your way if you're not ready. So to me, I was like, let's do it. Um, so I kind of, you know, I sat there, I, I got it out. It was actually because I was an executive at the time, I had so many things going on constantly that I actually didn't have a lot of time in the end to write it and to rehearse it. So to the point that I had only finished writing it and don't get me wrong, there is definitely a process when it comes to TEDx's and you're meant to be going through coaching pro- like things and you're meant to rehearse it with your coach and doing all of this stuff. And I actually kind of avoided doing all of that. Um, and I finished writing my uh, speech the day before. I absolutely carved it at my rehearsals. I did the, the worst rehearsal I've ever done uh, and I couldn't remember any of my speech like I just kept like I had it there and and you're not meant to wait use your postcards or like uh, not postcards your speech cards or anything like that so I pretty much spent 24 hours um rehearsing it after that like straight after I went and I caught up with one of my best mates who uh had a drama background so it was perfect we could kind of sit there and she worked with me on um kind of getting everything right and from that process, I went the next day to the union. It was in the theatre. And funnily enough, like, we had a pre-event. So you kind of went in and and everyone kind of just, like, 
to themselves and some people were talking but I felt like oh okay I don't know like what I'm meant to do and I kind of just left and then went and rehearsed and I was rehearsing the whole day because I was the last speaker of the day so not only did they ask me to be a speaker but also to close out the whole day which is a lot of pressure um, especially when you haven't finished you didn't finish your um, speech until the day before but pretty much in those theater rooms you had a speaker telling like uh, you could hear everything that was happening in the actual theater which was really hard to one rehearse to read your stuff to remember whilst you're hearing someone else talk and also in terms of speaking sometimes when you hear someone before you uh, and they're nervous you can start to get nervous if someone's really confident you can start get to get confident and I very much can go off people's energy and so essentially the time came around that uh, it was my my event and uh, to, to, to talk and I got up and I didn't forget anything I, I got through the whole thing and I think there was one point where I paused but it was almost and I thought I forgot it and I just calmed myself down and was able to get through it but the perfect thing about it was the, the time that I actually lost my spot or thought I forgot was actually the perfect time to have a strong pause so it actually worked out for me made people think um, but yeah so so to think about that being what nine years ago now um almost yeah eight nine something like that uh yeah I'm just yeah blown away by um the fact that I was able to get up and do that uh at the time but yeah very very different experience extraordinary if you're 18 again and you could change anything in your back well I guess your, your history I guess what would you change yeah honestly I'm really grateful I had like such a good kind of teen, few teen years. Uh, but, and I'm not a big person on like regretting or or wanting to change things. So I don't think there'd be a lot of things that I would change, but I would would have probably advised myself to like not be so closed off to, um, to love. I think that's a, a big one. And I know, I know like when you're 18 and, and stuff like that, you can be a bit of the young, dumb character and do all that sort of stuff. And I personally didn't do that. Um, so that's probably the one thing. But at the same time, I think that's also helped shape me um, uh, focusing on my career instead of other external relationships actually has helped me be in the position that I'm in. And and I think ultimately the decision to not do that was better in the, in the long run. Um, I grew up with teen, two parents who were teen parents. Like I, I didn't want necessarily that for, to be for myself so I think I really focused on getting a career doing all of that setting myself up and and that's worked out for me but I also kind of wish I had a bit of a young dumb error as well so that's probably the only thing that I would have um, changed wonderful Bianca thank you for coming on the podcast I do appreciate it it's amazing what you've achieved and you know your trajectory as I said earlier it's, it's incredible where you're going and yeah I look forward to watching you closely of course. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome.